This week on Paladin Financial Talk, we're going to talk about what's going on in the housing market and some opportunities that that might provide for you. This is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley from Paladin Financial. Basically, the more accounts you have, the more opportunities there are for mistakes. So taking control of your assets may help you to avoid some of those common mistakes that investors make. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money and your plans in perfect harmony. And now here is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley. Welcome to Paladin Financial Talk. This is Jeff Foley with Paladin Financial. We want to thank everyone for joining us this week. And we've got a great show today. There's some uh, definite opportunities with what's going on in the housing market, interest rates. We have a lot of questions from clients right now on whether or not they should refinance or sell a home or buy a home. So we have a a great show. We're going to talk about that. And uh, we have a number of relationships with other financial professionals to help our clients with services that we don't provide, but are important to providing them with a sound financial plan. So for example, CPAs or estate planning attorneys, uh, experts in Medicare supplements, for example. And today we have a special guest who is an expert in the mortgage market. And we're having this conversation today because we're seeing a lot of opportunities for our clients, whether they're homeowners and they're thinking about selling or they're home buyers and wanting to, to jump in on low interest rates. And we wanted to ask some important questions and get some insight into the real estate and mortgage market that might benefit you today. So I wanted to bring on to our show today a, a special guest and I want to introduce you to Nicole Rosenditz Meeker, and she is the senior mortgage consultant with Wintrust Mortgage. And Nicole and I have known each other for a number of years through a, a local uh, financial planning association, and uh, I've worked with her a number of times over the years, and she's helped a number of our clients out with their mortgages and refinancing and all that fun stuff. So welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Very good. Well, tell us a little bit about you. What's kind of your your history and how did you get into what you're doing today? And um, there's a, a kind of a unique situation where you, we were talking about you're also a certified financial planner. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was probably back in 2003, I really started working with financial advisors on top of, you know, real estate state agents. And kind of decided it was a really good idea to get a better understanding of what exactly you do and how mortgages fit into that. I mean, if I'm being honest, it was also like, well, this might not be a bad second career if I ever want to get out of the mortgage industry. (laughs) Um, And going through the CFP, there's such a level of detail and intent. And, you know, kind of when I passed the test, I'm like, your job sucks. I don't want (laughs) to do that. (laughs) I'm going to leave it to the professionals. I will take the knowledge I have and use it to enhance my mortgage powers. But that's not where I want to be. I love what I do. That's great. Your mortgage powers. I like that. That's very good. Well, that you you have a, a special type of sickness for you to to go through the CFP process without being in the financial services industry. So my hat's off to you. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, that's probably a pretty accurate statement. So. <laughs> so tell us exactly what do you do? What does a senior mortgage consultant do? So how to explain it is I take a really painful process 
and try to make it suck less. So <laughs> when you get a mortgage, you're pretty much under financial audit. Any time you're going to put the term audit into something, it's not going to be fun. So my job is to take a client's financial situation and kind of package it in a way where an underwriter can look at it and just kind of sign off. Um, and that maybe is, you know, tweaking documentation that's not needed or updating it to make it easier, um, help explaining a complex, you know, job history or compensation, um, just to kind of present it in a way so those underwriters who are kind of the gatekeepers to the money can just, you know, rubber stamp it and move on. That's interesting. So you're, you're kind of taking the facts that the underwriters are asking for, but also kind of putting a package around that, not, not, uh, miswording it, but putting it in the a proper light and you know, clarifying things. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. And it's also just, you know, I joke that there's financial smart and then sometimes there's mortgage smart. Um, <laughs> You know, take a, a first-time home buyer. They're like, hey, I'm going to spend all my money and I'm going to pay off my student loans and, you know, but not have anything for down payment. Well, maybe there's a smarter hybrid where you can still qualify for a house and have money for a down payment. Financially, like financial smarts would say, pay off your loans. But mortgage smarts is like, hey, no, we need a down payment. Like, you need to put some, some skin in this game. Yeah. Um, and, and it could be just, you know, clients who move money around a lot, like maybe have three or four checking accounts and are kind of moving that all around, well, that kind of creates a nightmare for both the client and the underwriter because they have to track where that money is going. So we've got three or four bank statements. So a lot of times I'll tell clients on a purchase, like, hey, if you're looking to purchase a house, let's talk about six months prior to you being ready. So let me get you into the mortgage frame of mind so that we're packaging this up and making documentation up for you easier as well as telling a clean story to the underwriter. Okay. Mortgage frame of mind. I, I like that. I'm going to steal that. And uh, <laughs> we take a complex process and make it suck less. That's great. So, you know, your, your industry kind of like ours, it, it often, you know, mystifies people. There's a lot of unknowns and who's really doing what in this process. Can you share with us a little bit about how the mortgage industry is structured, kind of who are the parties and how, how you play into that? Yeah. So let's start with the first party that the client generally sees, which is the loan officer being the face. And that's the origination side. Um, what's confusing is that there's companies can originate mortgages in kind of three different ways. So the first one would be a broker and a broker is going to take the client's information take a look at the rates that are available and shop the different mortgage companies and say, hey, this is the right one to go. I mean, I remember I worked for a brokerage shop years ago, like before email was a thing and we used to get these faxes in of all of the rates and pour over who was the best. And as I'm talking, I realize I'm dating myself. So let's just say I worked there when I was like 10. So, <laughs> um, so, you have, so that's a broker and they get to sh kind of shop rates on behalf of the client. Kind of the second way that companies originate is if they're a bank. Now we're being very generalizing in this, but a bank kind of has one investor, their bank that they can offer. Um, you know, they do try to make them competitive, but it's just kind of, this is, they're a one trick pony. Okay. Now there is also a third kind 
called a correspondent. Um, and that's kind of like a hybrid of the two. So, for example, my company, Wintrust Mortgage, is a correspondent lender. So I have the opportunity to shop rates on behalf of the clients, but we use Wintrust's wirehouse line to fund the loan. So when I need something special or something rushed, I can just walk over to the underwriter and stand and stare at them and be like, hey, can you do this now? What about now? Do it yep. now, please. <laughs> so press the button. we have a little bit more. Exactly. <laughs> press, press it now. <laughs> um, you know, it gives me more control, but still gives me the opportunity to offer that good rate. Okay, very good. So you take the kind of the independence of a broker um, and have more control than a broker does rather than just being at a big brand name bank where you're only offering their mortgage product. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It also helps out on, so if you're a, a big bank and you're kind of that one trick pony, what if I need a different trick? Well, when you're working with a correspondent or a broker, hey, I got three or four other companies that we can you know, move to that need something special. So you don't have to change companies. A lot of times clients may not even know that the mortgage company is kind of moving them to a different investor. They just know that they're going on with the process and they take care of this and make sure that the loan closes pretty smoothly for them. Okay. And would you say the majority of loans are initiated by one company and then sold to another company or there, is it a good mix of companies that initiate also service? So I would say, well, I would put this, the, the servicing and the end investor is kind of like the second and third parties in, involved. And the mortgage industry is really great on being really confusing. So you may have a servicing company who is also the end investor, but it doesn't always have to be that way. So I would say mm. a majority of companies out there the origination side kind of packages the loan and then may sell it to the servicing side. So it feels like there's a sale because, you know, you're changing where your payment is going to. And I would say that happens on a majority of loans that are out there. Um, but on that servicing an investor, you know, your servicing company, your loan may be sold on the secondary market without you knowing it because you're still making your payment to that servicing side. Okay. The so same servicer. Is it fair to say you have, so you have the originator, which might be a broker, might be within a correspondent firm, or it might be in a bank. You then have the servicing company, which could be one party or, you know, a big uh, national bank. They might have a servicing company and then third party, the third piece of this would be the actual investing bank behind that. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yes, we're well, like financial services. There's a lot of moving parts that a lot of people don't see, <laughs> you know, on a day to day basis can be pretty confusing. So that's good to clear that up a little bit. Um, you know, and there's a lot of things going on this year in the not to be trite, but there's a this is a challenging year, a unique year. Uh, a lot of things going on in the financial markets, but also housing and interest rates. And what are some trends that you see taking place nowadays in the housing market? So this was actually really good timing on your part uh, because about two weeks ago, I got to listen to the chief economist of the mortgage, mortgage bankers association. That sounds um, like and they were kind of talk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> see, I know how to have a good time. I understand I'm in the financial world, but come on. <laughs> um, 
So they were talking about nationally, purchases are at the highest they've been since 2016. Minnesota tends to trend pretty closely with national. Um, you know, you've got home prices over the last few years, and, and specifically Twin Cities, you're looking at your average appreciation was between 4 and 6%. Um, even with this COVID coming in and creating these complications, there's not an expectation that we're going to see a 2008. The expectation is, hey, you're not going to get 4 to 6% appreciation. Maybe you're going to get closer to 3 coming in, but it's not, nobody's anticipating a dip. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of these numbers weren't taking it into consideration. Hey, what if there is a second wave of COVID and we, and we shut down? Like, what is, what is happening there? Um, so that, you know, can always throw a wrench into what we're talking about. But I will tell you, after the first round of COVID in the Twin Cities market, you know, March was crickets for purchases. Like, nobody was doing anything. And then when it bounced back, it bounced back strong. So specifically for the Twin Cities, um, so four to six months of what they refer to as inventory of houses is considered a balanced market. Okay. Currently, we're at about 1.8 months for a single-family dwelling. Wow. Um, over the last 12 months, sales are up about 4.8%. Okay. And that, here's what I think is an interesting point. Sellers are getting 100.1% of the list price. Hmm. So, which... Typically, we go 98, 99 um, in this market, but this is clearly telling us that when you go to make an offer on a house, if it's listed for 300, you're offering more if you want to win that house. So is it, you know, despite what's happened this year, like you said, in March, things were crickets, there wasn't much going on, there was a lot of fear, a lot of unknown, but once the world looked at it, and made the opinion right or wrong that, Hey, this isn't so bad. Sales jumped back up. It's still a seller's market. Prices are continuing to increase. You don't have much inventory. So part of it's, uh, part of it's people's read on what's going to happen. And part of it's reality. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, we've been so inventory in the twin cities has been so light for so long. There is such a pent up demand for houses. Um, that it's it's coming through. I mean, if you look the trend of how you make an offer for a house, it's, you know, you asked me four or five years ago, and I would have sat down and talked with clients and said, hey, we're going to get the seller to pay our closing costs. Like, that's pretty common practice. More often than not that we're doing that, that's going to save you some cash in pocket. Let's do that. Um, now when I'm prepping, well, let's go back about a year ago, even six months ago when I was prepping clients, it was, so this whole seller paid closing costs is a thing, but if you want your offer accepted, my recommendation is that you pay your own closing costs. So now sellers are having to, or buyers are having to come in with their down payment and their own closing costs. The next kind of iteration of how we're making this whole market more competitive and more difficult is now we talked about that you are not only offering more for the house, but you're guaranteeing the money. So if you have a $300,000 house that you make an offer of 320, what you're also telling the seller is, hey, and I'll guarantee you that 20 grand. What that means is, so when you go to get a mortgage, the mortgage company is going to take the lesser of either the purchase price or the appraised value. Mm-hmm. So if you're buying a house for 300,000 and the appraisal comes in at 310, 
they're going to say, cool, we're going to drop all of ours. You have to put your down payment based on 310. If you want to pay 320 for that house, you can do that, but that's 10 grand cash out of your own pocket. We're not going to securitize something for more than what it's worth because, you know, that kind of got us in trouble last time. So <laughs> now you're looking at a, a, a buyer who has to come with their down payment, pay their own closing costs, and guarantee that price. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do this. This is, But this is the trend that we're seeing on the offers that are, are winning. That's what it's looking like. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. So it's definitely a seller's market. And, you know, I imagine what, what kind of impact has this had on first home buyers and people are this year trying to buy a house for the first time. What are they looking at? Yeah. The first time home buyers, it breaks my heart. You know, the, the twin cities market right before this, I just did a quick little, little view. We have 40, only 48 homes in Minneapolis proper that are under 200,000. Wow. So you're, average home is going for, you know, and clearly the further out of the city proper you get, the more opportunity, but your first time home is looking around that 200 plus. And then first time home buyers are also competing with those who are downsizing, who have the money to pay closing costs and guarantee that money. Mm-hmm. I also think with COVID, a lot of it was that first time home buyer that's that first home that's going to get hit the worst because there's a lot of those buyers who were in the service industry, more paycheck to paycheck. So I think if we're going to see, you're going to see a lot more distressed homes. Part of me is hoping it actually brings opportunity for home buyers as well. But I think that right now, especially with the twin cities market, um, it's just really difficult for first time home buyers to get in. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. Um, and a lot of this spills over into the mortgage market and it, tell us a little bit about interest rates and other things that are happening in the mortgage market that people should be aware of. I feel like I should be a used car salesman. That's like, go now, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, r- r- rates are at like a 50 year low. I keep feeling like an idiot because I'll tell clients when rates will drop down, like, should we pull the trigger now? I'm like, look, rates are really low. We don't know if they're going to get back down. Like I would pull the trigger now, like how much lower can they go? And then COVID happens. It makes me look like a complete idiot. So, (laughs) um, you know, rates are really low. Purchases are fine. What the, the new hot topic in refinances is, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who kind of securitize and bless loans under $510,400. They, they are implementing a half a percent fee on refinances. So it's kind of a gossip in the industry. So when this came out, they announced it, I don't know, a couple weeks, you know, into August, maybe two, three weeks into August and said, Hey, and this is going to take effect September 1st. Well, wow. You know, we talked about how you have that origination and then the loan gets sold from the day a client applies to the day it gets sold. That could be 60 to 90 days. Yep. So, yeah. so for Fannie and Freddie to be like, by the way, you now have this huge fee and no time to build it into price. Cause let's be honest, mortgage companies aren't going to eat this. They're going to pass it on. 
So it, it really put everything in a bind, and there was concern that some of the smaller mortgage companies, this could really put them out of business. Um, so they came back and said, okay, my bad. We're going to kick this can down the road, and we're going to start this December 1st. So okay, different mortgage companies are, yeah. But keep in mind, you still have that 60 to 90 day lead time. So different mortgage companies are reacting differently. So Wintrust had pulled that fee back out. I'm anticipating they're going to put that fee back in next week. Um, one of the bright sides to this is that they also agreed not to charge that fee um, on, that are loan amounts under 125000 Okay. Um so, I mean, it's it's a little something, so that helps out. Uh, but it is, you know, it's just going to make refinancing that much more expensive for the average homeowner. And why is it, again, that they are implementing that fee? Um, the cynic in me says because they can. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think that the the thought process is is like, you know, the income on a mortgage, you have your origination and you have your servicing value. And what they're seeing is that, you know, I'm working with clients that I worked with nine months ago and saying, yeah, absolutely, let's refinance. This is a great idea. So to some extent, they could be losing money on that servicing side and trying to make it up with this 0.5% fee. Okay, that makes sense. So if interpreting things, if someone's been thinking about, you know, gosh, I really should look at refinancing, might not want to wait uh, any longer to, to do that. Uh, like you said, rates have come down so much and they're throwing in this additional fee that's going to kick in December 1st. So if you want that to happen without it, you want to get the ball going as quickly as possible. Yeah. It, it goes back to my used car salesman, you know, impression, like do it now, act yeah. now. You know, yep. we'll throw in some Ginsu knives. Like, no, if <laughs> you've been on the fence on refinancing, hang it, like, pause this podcast and go call your loan officer. Like, do it now. Don't wait. Yep. Okay. Or maybe not pause this. Like, listen to the end is what I meant. <laughs> there and you then go. go call your loan officer. <laughs> And how do you help people figure out, because I know you've worked with a number of our clients here recently, how do you people, how do you help people evaluate, does it make sense for us to refinance or not? What are some of the, the things that you look at? So, you know, there's the old kind of adage that, you know, if you're probably three quarters to a point, you should take a look at it. Um, I, just being conservative and really like to run the numbers, I would probably move that from about a, if rates are about a half a point to three quarters of a percent lower than what your current interest rate it's worth taking a look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, the mortgage industry is, is not necessarily taught how to look at things as critically. And so when clients are going out there and looking at, should I refinance? It's not just, are you going to save money? You know, Hey, I'm dropping my payment $200. You know, it's X amount of dollars in closing costs. I'll have that back in, you know, 12 months, no big deal. I think the smart move is to take it a step further and be like, well, let's talk about this house. How long do you see yourself in this house? You know, if they're only going to be in the house for three years, what is that principal balance at the end of three years? Did we put them in a worse position? Do they owe five grand more than they would have if they didn't refinance? Like, mm-hmm. and kind of look at it a little bit more critically to figure out not just, hey, let's make the smart move because rates are low, let's make the smart move because rates are low and my, my plan with this house. 
Right. Okay. That makes sense. And uh, we were chatting recently. I mentioned to you that we have a number of clients that are kicking around different ideas right now, trying to strategize to take advantage of where interest rates are at and housing prices. For example, should we sell our home now to take advantage of higher prices and downsize now, or should we sell now, maybe rent for a while, wait for the bubble to pop if, if there is a bubble and uh, buy our next home at a discount? How do you look at some of those questions? Any words of advice for people that are thinking about some of those strategies? Um, I think the first, kind of when you're looking at, okay, do I buy, do I sell? You know, I don't think the Twin Cities market is in a bubble. Um, we've had solid appreciation, um, unlike 2008 where, you know, when you were originating mor mortgages, let's even say 2005, if you had a good credit score, decent reserves, and a heartbeat, like, I didn't need anything from you. It was like rubber stamped, here's your money. I didn't need to verify that you had $100,000 in cash. I just took your word for it. So clearly we've gone away from that. Now when you look at the appreciation, we know people can buy houses because we're getting paycheck stubs. We're getting W-2s. Um, you know, clients are going through a much more rigorous process to get that loan. So the people who are in the houses, the mortgage companies had to verify they can actually afford that. Um, between that, between Minnesota generally having some of the lowest unemployment nationwide, even through the, you know, the great recession, you know, all of that contributes to that. We have a, not necessarily, I, I guess bubble is not the word I want to use for that. I'm not saying we won't see a softening, but I don't think because of all of those positive factors, it's kind of just natural growth. Again, we're pushing out the first time home buyers, you know, people who don't necessarily have money and trying to get them into a house. Um, but, you know, we're, it's, a, it's a healthy economy in, in Minnesota, Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. Okay. When clients are looking at that whole buy and sell, um, you know, based on I don't think we're in a bubble, do I think you need to rush to sell your house? I mean, A, it isn't a bad time. There isn't a ton of inventory. Um, but it's the buy and sell and downsize now. Well, you also get into the fact that there is little inventory are you looking at a house that's somewhere south of the cities or are you looking for something that's in a six block radius? So the, the inventory for those two is going to be very different in what might fit for you and your family. Mm -hmm. um, you also have to take into consideration what does the numbers look like? Can you afford two mortgage payments? Where does the down payment come from if you don't sell your house first? Um, you know, Coincidentally, we just sold our house in March, just before COVID, which was pure dumb luck. I am not that <laughs> smart. <laughs> uh, we chose to rent to try a new area in town and to see if we liked it and kind of wait for the right thing to come up because that just fit for us. Um, you know, when we're kind of, if clients have all the options, the question I propose to them is, what freaks you out more, being homeless or two mortgage payments? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> so there's a, as with many things in what we do on the financial side, it's part of math decision, but it's part of lifestyle decision and what you're comfortable with. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, it, you know, another thing you mentioned to me, when we were chatting yesterday, 
You mentioned a problem in the mortgage industry that's kind of a, a dirty little secret or so to speak, but where you have people that have a, a fair amount of assets, but not much or any income to speak of. Tell us a little bit about the, the challenge that presents for folks. So it kind of seems like the mortgage industry hates people who are young and retired. So if you're at that like 62 retirement or even that 59 and a half, like there's, there's some bells and whistles and we can, we can ebb and flow and make something happen. But you know, this point I had um, some clients that were early fifties. They had $3 million and a $400,000 mortgage. And I had to decline them Hmm. because I couldn't prove an income based on the way the mortgage industry thinks that I should figure out income. Now you and I both know you have $3 million in a $400,000 house. You're not getting foreclosed on the mortgage companies are just, this is like a blind spot with them. If early fifties, tons of money don't, don't have an income. Um, you know, we talked about how the housing market and now we're verifying the mortgage industry now has something that is called the ability to repay. Basically I need to justify and confirm that you have the ability to repay this mortgage with an income stream because if you get foreclosed on and I didn't do that, you can come back at the mortgage company and say, you issued me a mortgage incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Mm, So that also comes into why mortgages are now a financial audit and suck. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's a suck less, as you said. Yes. Um, yes. So, what are so kind of shedding a little light on in what you do, but what's something that you like the most about what you do and the other end, kind of what's the, your biggest frustration in general and in, in the type of work that you do? So I actually love, I love the fact that at the end of the day, when I've helped out a, a client, a home buyer to refinance or buy that home, like I'm, I'm bettering their position. I'm making them a homeowner. I'm saving them money on a refinance. Like I feel good about helping this person really stake a claim and, and in their future on buying this home. Um, you know, I'm not trying to sell somebody a car that they can't afford. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, challenges. I think when we go back to the ability to repay concept that we were talking about, the biggest challenge is getting clients to understand like that sucks. That's the main reason mortgages suck and where it's, I'm sorry, hey, this third page of your bank statement with this dot, can you explain that dot? You know, it's just (laughs) as frustrating for clients as it is for us. Right. Um, And so it's, you know, to me that's the most frustrating part about this is that, you know, mortgages doesn't, they don't work on common sense. If I tell you the sky's blue, I need to get a third party verification to prove that it's blue. Yeah. You can't just take my word for it. You probably have a lot of, I'm sure the pendulum, going back to the mortgage crisis, the pendulum went one way, got a little out of hand. And when that broke, it swung the other way. And you'll probably, you know, see a, a lightening up of things over time, but that's still in a, in the relatively short uh, history in the past history here. So, yeah. Hey, evidently when you collapse the economy, they, things don't get easier. 
So yeah, right. <laughs> very good. Um, well, we'll wrap up here in a moment, but tell us a little bit about um, if folks wanted to get in touch with you and evaluate their options and see, does it make sense to refinance or should we do this? Should we do that? Uh, what would be some next steps for folks? How can they go ahead and get a hold of you? Um, give me a call. My phone number is 612-851-1600. Um, or they can email because that seems to be a you know, quick, just kind of shoot at something off. Um, the email address, it's N as in Nicole, Meeker, M as in mother, E-E-K-E-R, at wintrustmortgage.com. And it's W-I-N-T-R-U-S-T, mortgage.com. Perfect. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate you joining us on the show today. This has been enlightening and I think folks will get some great information out of this today. And as usual, folks, thank you very much for joining us. But part of what we do at Paladin Financial is we help our clients to look at their comprehensive financial picture, make sure they're making the most out of what they have, their assets, their income, the whole whole nine yards. So we want to do a, a good job of providing you with a complimentary second opinion on your retirement plan. And that's complimentary. So I encourage you to give us a call. Our phone number is 877-219-3199 or visit us at financialpaladin.com. And you can also send us an email at info at financialpaladin.com. But we do appreciate your, your listening in. If you have any questions, you have any suggestions on what we talk about in future podcasts, please send those on to us. And again, Nicole, thank you very much for joining us here today. And we appreciate your time. Hey, appreciate having the opportunity. All right. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Paladin Financial Talk. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Jeff Foley at Paladin Financial. Call 877-219-3199 or visit their website at financialpaladin.com. Advisory services offered through Paladin Wealth LLC, a Minnesota registered investment advisor. Paladin Wealth LLC offers advisory services under the DBA Paladin Financial and Paladin Wealth. Insurance products and services offered through Paladin Insurance LLC. Paladin Wealth LLC and Paladin Insurance LLC are affiliated companies. Jeff Foley and Paladin Financial are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.